Okay. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, I've written a little formula up here on the board. Uh, I thought of it coming up here. When you're driving up here by yourself, you think of a lot of things you ought to say. Of course, every time I do that, I mess up. So, Anyway, uh, I'll try to explain this a little bit later. It, uh, it kind of ties in with my talk. <clears throat> okay, the readings I would like to do uh, first is Second Peter 1, 2 through 8. <clears throat> Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. According as his divine power hath given us given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these he might be partakers of the divine nature. Having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust, and beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, and I'd like to read uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Uh, the first uh, four verses. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I'm becoming a sand, sounding bright brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity boneth not itself. Is not puffed up. <clears throat> Christadelphian Statement of Faith contains 31 propositions or doctrines which form the core of requirements necessary for our salvation. These doctrines tell us of God, or Yahweh, Jesus Christ, our condition and our position, or our position, and how we got there, and what we must do to get out of this condition. It tells us of God's purpose with the earth and mankind. The belief and the efforts we make according to the doctrines contained herein will determine our final destination, destiny. Will it be life or will it be death? 
So I had a title here. Is doctrine important? Most of the religious world emphasizes faith, virtue, knowledge, temperance, godliness, brotherly kindness, love, joy, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, and meekness. To the world, these are qualities of a good Christian. And to, the, to us, to us, these are the essential qualities of a good Christadelphian. To the world, these qualities, when practiced, will give the person who practices them a reward. Usually a place in heaven, no matter what he or she believes, or what he doesn't believe in regard to biblical principles. To Christadelphians, for someone to practice these things without a basic fundamental correct set of beliefs in biblical principles will result in nothing but an end in the grave. <clears throat> we have all known people who lived a life dedicated to doing the right thing, exhibiting these qualities of, of right living, people who may live these qualities, unfortunately, better than some Christadelphians. So what is the advantage of being a Christadelphian? Do we have an advantage? When we consider the term advantage, we think about Romans 3, <clears throat> verses 1 and 2. What advantage then hath the Jew, or what profit is there in circumcision? Much in every way. Chiefly, because unto them were committed the oracles of God. Oracles are defined as the statements of a person with great knowledge. The oracles spoken of in this passage are the statements are then statements of God, and they are absolute truth. The advantage we have is that to us, Christadelphians, who have been, have been revealed the true principles by which we can enter the race and strive to receive the reward of eternal life. Now the principles which we consider are referred to as, to as our doctrine. Doctrine is defined as something taught or the principles of a religion. Some have said that Christadelphians put too much emphasis on doctrine at the expense of other essentials of our life in Jesus Christ. Essentials which we discussed earlier Faith, virtue, temperance, love, etc. So what about <clears throat> what about doctrine? Doctrine is about foundation. We know how important foundation is. As children, we learned about the men who built houses on different foundations, one upon sand, the other upon rock. We understood early the importance of a solid foundation in the truth. 
Doctrine, <clears throat> doctrine is where it all starts. And we find doctrine in our in Scripture, in our Bibles. <clears throat> we are convinced that there is a God, and He has revealed Himself to us in the Bible. Jesus said in John 17, verse 17, Thy word is truth. God's word is final in the Bible. In its present form is all we have to give us God's word. There is nothing being added. There are no experiences being added to the biblical information which we have already received. We see religious experiences around us each day, every day. The Pope in the Holy Land, a supposedly very religious event, preaching forgiveness, love, feeding the poor, and equality for mankind. These are very commendable goals. But there is a problem. It will not happen. It will not happen until the Lord Jesus Christ comes back to this earth to make these things happen. A very important doctrine to us Christadelphians is the return of Christ and the kingdom established. The lofty goals of man are only human thinking. Religious experience without doctrinal roots is like cut flowers stuck into the ground. They will soon wither and die. The Bible is all we have and it's all we need. The greatest teacher ever teach, ever, the greatest teacher ever, teaching the greatest message ever, used this book to teach his message. It was the only book he ever quoted. There was never any discussion in his message. It was quoted as it is written. Whenever he preached, the people were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one having authority. The reason is told us in John 17, 6, Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine, but his that sent me. Jesus preached the gospel for three and a half years with his apostles at his side. One would think that in that time, the apostles would have some idea as to what was to take place with their master. But we read in Luke, that after his resurrection, Jesus took them back to their scriptures to show how they foretold his suffering. The, the scriptures he probably used was Isaiah 53 and Psalm 22. And in Luke 24, verse 45, we read, Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. He opened their understanding. He had to explain to them again what was, what had taken place. They knew what had taken place, but they didn't. They didn't apparently didn't really realize that they had already been told. 
it was critical that the apostles understood the scriptures because it was from them that we get the gospel. The gospel message which converted 3,000 on the day of Pentecost and many more during the early days of the Ecclesia of God. In Acts 2.42, we read those 3,000 baptized on the day of Pentecost continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. They continued in the principle taught by the apostles. Once the ecclesias are established, we see Paul and Barnabas urging new disciples to continue in the faith, continue in the doctrine. There are similar expressions in the New Testament which indicate a recognizable body of teaching, a cluster of central beliefs which have been taught by the apostles, both verbally and by letter. Second Thessalonians 2.15 reads, Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the tradition which ye have been taught, whether by word or our epistle. 1 Timothy 6.20 O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust, avoiding profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science falsely so called. 1 Timothy 4.13-16 Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them. And in 2 Thessalonians 2.12 that they all might be damned who believe not the truth. There are those who would add or take away from the principles of the faith from the apostle doctrine. For example, the Judaizers insisted that salvation would be assured by adherence to the law of Moses and circumcision. Some felt that this was not something to be overly concerned about. Paul, however, had other thoughts. Something had been added. This was a Jesus plus gospel. Paul knew that by adding anything, no matter how small, to the teaching of Jesus, you immediately take something away from him and the effectiveness of his sacrifice. So did did doctrine matter to Paul? Very much so. And he very emphatically makes this evident in Galatians first chapter, verse 7 and 8. There be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ, but though we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. He emphasizes again in verse 9, As we said before, so say I now again. If any man preach any other gospel unto you, than that ye have received, let him be accursed. Verse 11 and 12 tells us why Paul is so sure of his teachings. But I certify you, or I want you to know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul fought a constant battle against false doctrine. 
Paul's letter to Timothy are an example of the encouragement he gave him in the struggle to keep the truth pure. 1 Timothy 1, 3, As I besought thee that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. 1 Timothy 4, 6, If thou put, if thou put brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith, and of good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained. In 1 Timothy 4, 16, Take heed unto thyself and unto, unto the doctrine, continue in them. For in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. Again in 1 Timothy, If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine... Which is, which is according to godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing. In Second Timothy four three, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust they shall heap to themselves teachers, having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth. They will not endure sound doctrine; they will turn their ears from the truth. This was a concern then and should be a concern now. Some say, some would say, but the Christadelphian doctrine is so basic and is based on Scripture, it is so logical, how can it not be sound? Brothers and sisters, error is not always from the outside. Error can begin as innocently as someone's opinion Built upon a, by, built upon by personal belief or personal feeling, by emotion, by scripture taken out of context. These simple steps can lead to unsound doctrine. People with itching ears, carried about by every wind of doctrine. The major division of Christadelphians which occurred in the late 1800s, was not called by outside beliefs, but from the inside. The enlightened rejector, at first not a major concern, it was not considered a basic fellowship issue. But as time went on to fit this idea into Christadelphian doctrine, the doctrine had to be bent, molded, and even twisted conform to the idea of the enlightened rejecter. Basic doctrines such as the nature and sacrifice of Christ, baptism, our relationship to Adam and to Christ after baptism were affected. At what once was sound doctrine became unsound. Now an effort is underway to reunite the divided fellowships, not on the basis of corrected errors, but on the idea that division is wrong. The idea that fellowship is important no matter the differences in belief, but to the larger body, our amended body, belief, their belief, is the only basis of fellowship. Some have said, why can't we just get along? Paul has an answer for this too. He says in 
Second Corinthians, be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers? Or what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath communion hath light with darkness? Sound doctrine is not personal opinion. It is not emotionally derived. Emotion is the effect of doctrine, not doctrine the effect of emotion. Sometimes we get get them mixed up. Let's consider how sound doctrine should affect us personally. Paul writes to Titus in Titus 2, 1, but speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. Then He then lists behavior which the ecclesial members should follow. Paul reminds Titus to encourage behavior that fits belief. In the previous chapter, Paul has shown that those who, who follow wrong doctrine are first corrupt in heart, then become so in their lives. We have given the truth, we have been given the truth to change our lives, not just something to talk about. Doctrine is a means to an end. Doctrine is not the end. Uh, And I read a chapter about, though we have all these, these talents or whatever you want to call them, if we don't them correctly they're no good we can have all the knowledge in the world but if we don't apply it correctly and that's that's this equation up here uh, if we don't apply it correctly it does us no good <clears throat> we have something that can take us somewhere if we will but seize the opportunity given us we have a statement of faith Our beliefs are unique in the world of many beliefs. We look at these beliefs and we review them along with biblical passages which support them. Then we ask the question, what difference does it make to my life if these are all true? What is the point of having a statement of faith, a set of beliefs, if it does not generate a Christ-like life? What is the point of unique doctrines if we do not become unique people? If our beliefs, belief, does not bring us nearer to our Lord, to our Master, it is valueless. It has no value. All biblical truth centered on a man. In the final analysis, our statement of faith is a person, our Lord Jesus Christ. And any hope that we have on the basis of apostolic teaching rests on Him. If we follow Christ, that's our that's our statement of faith. If we do exactly what He did, we'd be in pretty good shape. Paul writing to Timothy said, Continue thou in the thing which thou hast learned and hast been assured of knowing of whom thou hast learned them, that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. 
All scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So we have a progression. Progression begins with doctrine and should end with good works. The pattern is clear for Timothy and for us to follow. So does doctrine count? It is the it is doctrine, the doctrine, which maps the way for our salvation. And this is kind of what this formula is. We have an equation. I'm an engineer, and I think in terms of numbers and equations. So we have an equation, which is the truth, but we and, and knowledge. But we have to apply it properly. We have to use the right numbers, the right information. And if we do that, the solution will be eternal life. Does that make sense? <laughs> okay. And we have a memorial, memorial hymn now? Okay. Okay.